Well, it's so good to be with all of you this weekend as we continue our journey through the extraordinary unfolding story of God's word and what a joy it is that God has bothered to reveal himself to us. That in of itself is miraculous and what a joy it is that we have access to his revelation and we're able to journey into it. Uh, So I don't know about you guys, but um, have you guys ever been uh, in one of those movies that are sort of the action disaster flicks, you know, where some giant disaster takes place uh, that is going to wipe out the entire human race and everybody is trying to uh, figure out what to do. Uh, I I always enjoy when I see the next great movie that comes out that's going to have that. So, you know, it it changes from circumstance to circumstance. Sometimes it's a giant earthquake. Sometimes it's a giant tidal wave. Sometimes it's aliens from space. Sometimes it's some creature that's crawled out of the ground. Sometimes uh, it it could be a million things, environmental or or weird or strange, but uh, it always has this same general theme. There's that moment in the movie where the thing happens and then you see everyone running and screaming. That's always in the movie, right? And then funnily enough, most of the time there's also this scene. While all the human beings are running away from the danger, there is always some lady, I'm telling you, running against the crowd, right? Running toward the danger, and she like, you, you know, you see it, the camera zooms in on it, and people are like bumping past her, and she's like going like this, and your first thought is, what a fool, what a fool, don't you understand, don't you see the logic in death coming at you, and run away, but, but you're running too, why, and then it happens, right, you hear her shouting a name, Johnny, Johnny, And then suddenly you don't feel like she's a fool anymore, do you? You suddenly go, I I get it. You feel great empathy for her. Why? Because she's running into the danger because she is likely, we make the assumption, a mom and her child who she is tasked to protect is missing and she thinks he's somewhere by the danger. And so suddenly the logic of runaway changes because of the identity of this person and the circumstance of another person needing them and they run into the danger instead of running out of the danger and we all cheer them on. Come on, you can find Johnny. Where's Johnny? When we find him, we're gonna kill him, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's because of identity. Like you're a mom, you got a kid, that's identity. And sometimes it's because it's actually practiced as a skill set because you have a role to play. We see this, for example, in the Secret Service. The Secret Service, the men and women tasked to guard our president's life and, and the, the politicians that travel into dangerous places around the world and people are trying to hurt them, they train tirelessly to train their instincts to function in the opposite manner from everybody else's instincts. You see, they won't have time in a crisis scenario to have to make the decision to act appropriately. It has to be instinctual. So when a gunshot goes off, a secret service person has trained themselves to respond in the opposite manner from the rest of the human beings around them. How do we respond in a crowd when a gun goes off? We all drop down. How does a secret service person respond? They, without thinking, they stand up. We all drop down, listen for the sound, and then move in the opposite direction. They stand up, listen for the sound, and run toward the gunfire. Because they have trained themselves to respond in the opposite manner from the logical human response because they have a task that they have been given, a calling they have, and it requires their response to be opposite. This is exactly what the Spirit of God is revealing to the church in Corinth and also to the church in general, to us, as he uses some very ordinary circumstances between two very ordinary groups of people, Paul and the the church in Corinth, 
uh, to reveal to us some extraordinary things. You see, Paul has experience in life from living on mission, and he has had accusations brought against him from the church in Corinth. He is responding in a letter, this second Corinthians that we're in, to the church in Corinth uh, to speak against those accusations and to bring some of his life experience into the letter. That is an ordinary thing. The Spirit of God is using that ordinary interaction to reveal through Paul's experiences and through the accusations and defense of those accusations, the Spirit of God is using this letter not only to do ordinary things in ordinary human stuff, but to reveal extraordinary clarities of the gospel and its implications to our identity and to our calling so that we understand as a people group following God, uh, our identity in Christ, our calling in Christ, because when we understand those, they have implications to the way we are going to function in life, oftentimes calling us to function in the opposite manner from what seems logical to the human beings around us. And that's exactly what's happening. That's what's been going on in 2 Corinthians. So where have we come so far? In brevity, let's remember. We began with this extraordinary reality of grace. We were essentially immersed in grace. God's grace affected toward us. God's grace affected through us toward others. Our grace empowered by God affected toward others because we follow God. And so we realized when the world treats each other badly, and what is most illogical is to be gracious toward a person, we are called to be exactly that. Gracious, because the grace of God affected through us undoes shame and fear in the human interactions, brings about redemption and the beauty and light of God and changes things to make them beautiful. And so we get to be participants in that extraordinary action. But we've also figured out that being gracious does not come naturally. I don't care if you're full of Jesus or not, right? And so this is something that uh, Paul has begun to say, the reason that we are invited and called to be these people of grace toward one another and toward the world on behalf of Christ is because of who we are. It's like the mom running to rescue the child. It makes sense because of who you are. And who are we? We are the people of God, the aroma of Christ. We actually carry Christ and so we are to people the picture of the aroma of the image of Christ. And so because this is who we are, we obviously carry the redemptive reality of Christ to the world. Not only are we the aroma of Christ, but we were reminded in 2 Corinthians that we walk in the story of Christ and so we walk in a story of victory. At the end of the day, if you remember we were there a few weeks ago, at the end, all things will be made new and we are on that story, on that track. So even though our dailiness may not feel that way, we recognize who we're with. We recognize who we belong to. And so we walk in that extraordinary power. And in that victory that we walk in, despite the circumstances of life, we find great freedom and great hope. Our great hope for who we are and what is ours and what the end story is of everything we are participating in and great freedom in recognizing that we stand as recipients of God's great redemptive work so we do not stand before God in judgment, in, in wrath, but we stand, how did he put it? Unveiled, staring into the full glory of God and instead of being destroyed by that act of reality, we are transformed formed into the likeness of Christ as an inevitability of our journey with God. Then we're like, really? I mean, I'm being transformed. I'm, I'm aroma of Christ. I'm living, participating in the redemptive story. This is extraordinary. No wonder Paul says we are bold in the way we live. Bold. And this is what we've learned so far. So when Paul says we do not lose heart as we enter into the world, we go, yeah, of course we don't. This is what we're talking about. We are invited by the extraordinary revelation of the gospel in 2 Corinthians to run into the hard, into the difficult, into the unredeemed spaces instead of running from them. 
When the rest of humanity avoids what is hard, we enter into what is hard. When, when we are in relational dynamics that the rest of the, uh, the, the society says, just bail because it's hard, we go, we don't bail. We, we, we dive in, and yes, it's hard. When, when there are crises uh, around us that are uncomfortable and difficult and create mess, we don't try to avoid them and talk about them. We get into them because that's what we get to do. When things come our way, circumstances come our way that, that tend to derail, we don't try to find a way out. We walk through and try to make sure that we make it beautiful, trusting God. This is how we live. And so here at Mosaic Church, for many of us, we have believed this. And we've said, well then, if this is what it says, then let's go do that. And so what have we done over the last few years? Not because of 2 Corinthians, because we're only now in 2 Corinthians, but because we've been dabbling with the gospel for a long time now, and the gospel doesn't say anything different in any of the other books than it does in this one. We have come to realize that our restored purpose on this planet, considering our future redeemed and our soul rescued, is to enter into these spaces and to run in when everybody else is running out. And so we have. We started looking around the world and said, what is going on? And we realized because of the state of the world, there are many children uh, who should have loving families but don't for a myriad of reasons. And so they are in one way or another orphaned. And we need to do something about that. So we engaged in safe families. We engaged in foster care. We engaged in adoption. And we have been engaged and continue to be engaged at a massive level. And we're not satisfied even now until we get even more engaged. And we found out, oh, there's an entire community of families whose children have unique challenges because of special needs. And those families tend to isolate because when they come, they come with these special challenges and the special challenges disrupt the nice people around them. And so they don't want to be disruptive and so they don't show up. And we went, oh, no, 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 no. You show up here. We like being disrupted. In fact, the more disruptive, the more fun. And so we step into special needs and we have buddies and we, for our VIPs and we jump into that. We realize that there are widows that step into a world they never imagined and, and find themselves deeply lonely and, and it's, it's difficult to keep sustaining, caring for that. But we're like, no, put us in that game. Let's find people with rooms in their homes that can take in people that need space for conversation and space for not feeling alone in the world. We found out humans are being trafficked around the world. We asked where, they said Cambodia, we went. They said now everywhere, we're gonna go everywhere. If it's hard, if it's difficult, we go, we engage. That's what we do, why? Because of everything we know of the gospel. And then here's what's happened. As we've run in to these stories, we've embraced the difficult, we've believed the gospel. You know what's come our way? Exactly what you would expect if you think logically about it, but because we're Christians, we don't think logically about it. When a fireman runs into a burning building, what do you expect might happen to the fireman? He might get burned. No, no, no. No, he will get burned. It's just a matter of how badly, right? It's a matter of how well he'll come out of it. He might die. He might get burned. He might not come out well. He might breathe in smoke. He might choke. So there's a lot of things that might happen. That's why all the other human beings run away, right? So when we run into these difficult things, I think secretly we think that because we know the truths of Scripture and we know the gospel that we will run into them and somehow be somewhat immune to the afflictions and the perplexed realities and the, and the persecution and the, and the feeling struck down that might come with that. And so we think, yes, they'll be hard, and we certainly will face some difficulties, but because we know Jesus, we will rise above those difficulties, we will be strong, and all will be well. And you know what happens? Here's what I found. We go in, and this is exactly what happens. We are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed in every way. Perplexed means like somewhat confused and dazed, walking along, <laughs> what, what, what just happened? We are persecuted in every way and we feel struck down. And when we feel these things, these great realities, what we believe 
is that somehow we have missed the gap between the faith we have and the faith we should have. If only we were more full of faith, then we wouldn't feel this way. If only we were better at what we did in terms of our trust in God, then we would rise above feeling this weight of the realities of what we stepped into, so we start feeling guilty. Oh, I I shouldn't feel that way. We Facebook, hard day, but God is good, when really what we mean is, death day, where is God, right? So we always feel like we need to fill in the blank with the, it's, it's all actually good because God is actually good, though internally we feel like we are dying. So then we begin to feel guilty because we're like, oh my gosh, all the other Christians, they seem to have it together, but I don't. So we do the, the sort of, ah, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's good. But what we feel each day is weak and overwhelmed. So what is the, what is the gap? What is missing? You would just read 1 Corinthians, uh, I mean 2 Corinthians 1 through 4 and a half, and it's just like, Jesus and victory and aroma and go, and then we do it and we're like, dead, dead and dead. Where is the gap? Well, what the Spirit of God is about to do, as he always does, in his knowing of us, is he's about to set us free from that misconception of the gap and show us, no, 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 no. Here's why it feels that way. And here's what that means. And here's why that matters. And here's what you can do about it. Because here's how it rolls. And we're going to go, you're kidding me. That's awesome. And feel so free. Grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians and let me show you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. Because that's where we were last time, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And remember, just recently we were talking about the extraordinary reality of the fact that we have unveiled faces standing in the full glory of God and being transformed by Christ inevitably to be like him. How awesome is that? And then the the final line that we we covered last time we were together was uh, 4.6, chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we were like, yeah! God has filled us with the knowledge of the gospel, with the knowledge of Christ. Uh, We are full of his light and we are carriers of that light, right? That should inspire any of us to dare to engage in being redemptive on behalf of Christ, whether in circumstances that came our way that we didn't ask for or circumstances we have because we stepped out for the sake of Christ. Regardless of how they came, we ought to live in the light, and yet we feel so afflicted in the difficulty. Now look what he says next. Watch. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. What an odd sentence. I I think we're like, whenever we read sentences like this that have things like jars of clay in it and we have this great treasure, we feel like it should be a good sentence, right? Doesn't it sound good? You have this treasure in jars of clay. Mmm, yes. What does it mean? I don't really know. It sounds awesome though. I apparently have a treasure in a jar. It's really cool. Here's what this means. What treasure is Paul speaking of here? Well, he's speaking of the sentence he just gave us because that is a treasure, is it not? That God has shone his light into us that we are full of the knowledge of God. We know our future is redeemed. We know our souls are rescued. We know our purpose is restored. We know who we are in Christ. We know we're the aroma of Christ. We know we are called to be gracious even when it's impossible because we've received impossible grace. We know that we are living in victory. We know the implications of the gospel. This is the treasure that has been deposited in us. That's what he's saying. We have this treasure. But his point isn't in this paragraph to tell us the treasure we have. We already knew that because we just read it. His point is the very next few words. We have this extraordinary treasure in jars of clay. What are jars of clay? Well, we know jars of clay as those things we buy from Pottery Barn that we stick on high shelves in our houses as decorations. But in Paul's time, 
Jars of clay were critical to the storage of important things. They would put stuff in them. But the trouble with jars of clay is that they were not particularly strong. They were fragile. If you drop a jar of clay, it shatters. If you leave something in a jar of clay for long enough, the the, the clay begins to crack and the substance leaks out. So the jars of clay, though they were good to put stuff in, they were the fragile version of what you put stuff in. They didn't have Tupperware. And so they had jars of clay. And so they also had wine skins or animal skins that they would put stuff in. And so the jar of clay was always thought of as the item that was most fragile. So in this societal context, when you were referring to a jar of clay in any kind of human context, you were using that as a metaphor for the weakness of humanity. You would say, we are like jars of clay. We are like fragile vessels. We are like things that break. We are like things that leak. We are like things that don't sustain. A jar of clay was good, but it was not great because it was weak. And so whenever he says, God did this and we are his jars of clay or his work of clay, he's saying there is a fragility to us. So listen to what Paul just does. He says, the promise that is so extraordinary, the treasure that is so wonderful, the truth that is so amazing that we go, yes, it is deposited in us and we are weak. We are weak. What a strange thing to say. Oh, you guys are awesome. God, Christ is in you. Go change the world. By the way, you're super weak. That's a sort of an odd thing to say, unless, unless you're showing something. And look what the Spirit of God does through Paul here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is an intentional move on God's part. Why did he not redeem our bodies and redeem our minds fully so that we don't war against the flesh while we're stuck on this planet of death? Why, when he rescued us, did he not completely change us in an instant? Why the sanctifying process? Why the longevity? Why the struggle? And here he says, he deposited this great promise, this great treasure in a jar of clay so that we would never be deceived into believing that we are the power that is affecting the redemption. Because that was our downfall in the Garden of Eden, was it not? We were perfectly content, free, and happy with God, under God, through God, by God. And the enemy told us, he's just trying to keep you weak. If you eat of the fruit, you'll know what he knows. You'll be like him. You won't need him because you could be your own God, your own power force. We bought in, we ate the fruit. It didn't go well for us. It brought about death and destruction and sin. And this is always what haunts us. Just when we start getting things right, we forget God and we think we're awesome. And God goes, the promise I've deposited in you that will ultimately spill out of you and affect great redemption through you is in a weak vessel so that you never think that you're the one carrying it in power but that you always know it is God's power in you and through you that is affecting redemption. And you get to be what? A jar of clay carrying the great treasure to the world. Now, Paul is going to bring this home for us because he's going to make it real here. He's going to make it super real. And this sets us free, folks, from this guilt we live in that if we're not feeling overwhelmingly wondrous in the middle of affliction, we're somehow unspiritual. That is not how it works for a jar of clay, okay? Here's how a jar of clay lives and feels on this planet. Look at this. Look what he says. We are, present tense, do you see that? Not were once, not uh, used to be. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Now that verse, many of you have heard that verse before, right? We, we are, we are uh, afflicted in every way, but, but, not, but not crushed. Uh, it's on posters. And we always use this verse in its positive. In other words, we say the intent of this verse is to say, though you are afflicted, though you are perplexed, though you are overwhelmed, though you are struck down, you are not destroyed, you are not crushed, and you kind of rise up under that great poster of inspiration and go, that's right, I feel dead, but I'm not. 
But it doesn't feel any different, does it? See, Paul's intent here wasn't necessarily to tell us, don't worry, do you feel like you're dying? You're not, you're fine. Paul's intent here was to tell us, when you feel like you're dying, you feel that way because it's really hard. We are afflicted in every way. Yes, it's, it's real. When you step into the difficult things, when you take on things other human beings tell you to bail on because they're too hard, too difficult, you don't deserve that, you deserve a happy life. And we say no, we want to do what is good and right for the sake of redemption. And he says you feel totally afflicted? That's because it's afflicting. You feel perplexed? That's because it's overwhelming. You feel struck down? That's because hard things strike you down. See, that's why the other humans run from it. We don't run from things because they taste good or they feel good. We run from them because they're hard and they kill us. And so what Paul is saying here is, listen, I want you to understand this incredible treasure that's been given us, this revelation that allows us now to respond very differently to the world around us than we used to to run into hard things rather than run from them because God has promised to make them beautiful even though they're hard to work through. If you think you're gonna run into those things and it's not gonna feel overwhelming and you're not going to move away to a small island in the Caribbean where no one will ever find you again, you are dead wrong. You're gonna feel exactly that way. And you may feel that way quite a bit. You want to engage in that relationship that's falling apart and the world's telling you bail on it but you're gonna stick to it. You think that's gonna be easy? I mean, what got it into a mess wasn't easy. And not going to be easy. You're going to step into caring for broken people. You think that's going to be easy? It's not going to be easy. You want to go step into human trafficking? You think that's going to just be a cakewalk? You want to go down uh, to, a, to a, a joint downtown where uh, people are, are, are doing things they ought not to be doing and step in and care and be gracious and love them? You think that's going to be easy? No, it's not. It's going to feel overwhelming. You're going to feel perplexed. You're going to feel struck down. Because why? Because we are jars of clay. It will feel like, this is how he puts it, it will feel like we are carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why would he say that? It's like we're carrying the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus might also be manifest. You see what God is talking about here through Paul is what he's already told us when Jesus was on the planet, right? He said this, if you're going to follow me, here's how it's going to roll. You are going to take up your cross daily and follow me. When Jesus said that, there was no context for it yet, but Jesus was saying it because there would be a context for it. What did Jesus come and do on this planet? He came to redeem us from sin and death, to take our brokenness and heal it. How did he do that? By becoming a human being, living uncomfortably, carrying a cross up a hill and dying on that cross so that his death might affect our life. And now he says this. You are my ambassadors. You're going to go into a broken world and you are going to find difficult things and take on difficult things for my sake. It may be in your workplace, in your neighborhood. It may be across the ocean. It may be stepping into someone's life or it may be daring to step into a circumstance that's yours that everyone's saying to bail on but you choose to stay in. And he's saying this is how it rolls. You are now an agent of redemption which means you are an agent of of carrying a cross. The death of Jesus will be manifest in your life over and over again so that the life of Jesus might also be manifest. Now, don't misunderstand this. This is what the enemy always does. Don't start thinking, oh, I got it. I used to think what was most spiritual was to have a very cool and awesome life and if I was healthy, wealthy, had a big car, had money in the bank and my life was tracking beautifully, then that meant God loved me and blessed me. But now I get it, Renaud. I need to be suffering to be spiritual. I need to be engaged in suffering and the second I'm not suffering under some hardship of great mission, I'm not spiritual. Both of those are equally demonic views of the gospel. One is called prosperity theology and one is called poverty theology and neither are true or right. What God is saying here is not the spiritual the, the followers of Jesus, when they are, are comfortable, they immediately freak out and start running around trying to find something to make themselves uncomfortable. That's not how we roll. There's beautiful spaces in which we live in comfort during our lifetime, whether we are Americans or Africans or Indonesians or South Americans, that not make any difference. There are gonna be seasons of life when we are comfortable and seasons of life when we're not. Here's what he is saying. Your identity and mine, your calling and mine is to follow Jesus and do what he calls us to do and if it leads to comfort, great and if it leads to discomfort, great, it doesn't matter. 
our pursuit should never be comfort or discomfort for the sake of affecting some vision of spirituality. Because our comfort or discomfort has nothing to do with God's love for us or God's care for us or God trying to teach us something. And we cannot live in that space. We follow Jesus. We do what's right. We engage in the hard when it's right and good, even though the world runs from the hard because we follow Jesus and because he's been gracious to us and let the chips fall where they may as far as comfort or discomfort is concerned. In fact, if you are discomforted, don't think that that is somehow amiss in your faith. It is what we call affliction and it is real and it is hard and it feels like it's crushing you. But thankfully it's not, but it feels that way. And feeling that way is a big deal, isn't it? So look what he says next. So he says in verse 12, death is at work in us, but life in you. I love how Paul puts that. When we are afflicted because we're living on mission for Christ, though it is death that is on our shoulders, it is so that life would be born in yours. Wow. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? I die for you so that you might live. And so we die for the world by being on mission so that the world may live. We step into the hard so that God's beauty might be made beautiful in the relationships, resources, and circumstances we have because he has said, I am with you and I will make you strong even though you are weak. Now look at this, look at this. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. There's another one of those verses, you read it, right? And you just kind of move on as though you understand it. We have the same spirit as he who spoke, who spoke and believed, and so we speak and believe, and so Jesus will raise us from the dead. And you're like, what do you mean? Here's what happens, right? A lot of times the New Testament authors were rabbis, uh, uh, like, like the disciples, like Paul. They were either Pharisees like Paul or rabbis like Peter and John and all those guys. They traveled with Jesus. And what that meant was that they had memorized a large portion of the Old Testament. It also was assumed that most of the Jewish world knew the Old Testament well enough that they were familiar with things even if they weren't completely able to memorize it. So in our cultural context, I've said this before, it's like when I say things like, uh, I'll be back. You may or may not have seen those movies, but automatically you go, oh, action flick, big muscular guy, guns, uh, weird robotic things, uh, trans- uh, Transformers, look at that, I've got it wrong, uh, Terminator, right? So, so we have a context where we say certain things and in our culture that's a media culture, we go, oh, I got a full context. Paul does this when he, he, he wants to save writing six paragraphs and he says a single thing and we know automatically where that came from and what the context was. So when he says, just as it was, uh, when it was said, I believe, and so I sp- or I speak, and so I believe, so we have the same spirit. What's he talking about? In Psalm 116, that's where that comes from. And David is speaking here, and listen to what he says. In Psalm 116, you'll see how the context is so beautiful, because here's what Paul's saying. He's transitioning now from saying, hey, if you find it hard to live in circumstances that are born out of you wanting to be missional for the sake of Christ, either in circumstances that came your way, or ones you chose to be missional, if you feel afflicted, don't worry, that's normal. Don't worry, you're not unspiritual. Don't worry, you're not missing the boat. Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you wanna move to an island in the Caribbean? So does everybody else that does this for Jesus. But, but, there's great hope that allows you not to have to move to that island, but to sustain in the beautiful life that you've been called into. And here's where he begins to transition to show us that great hope. In Psalm 116, look what David writes. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Shawal laid hold of me. Shawal is basically hell and death. Okay, so he's like, I mean, I felt like uh, death and hell were surrounding me and overcoming me. This is pretty afflicted, right? I mean, David's saying like, I was dying. In fact, he's about to say that. Take a look. I suffered distress, distress and anguish. Then, 
I called on the name of the Lord. Look what, he, look what he prays. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Right, that's what he says. Now look what happens. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now here's that verse that Paul referred to. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Here's what David did. That little statement he was making was to say this. That even as I spoke, the great affliction under which I was. Even as I said, oh, the weight of the world is on me. I yet believed that God would deliver me. I believed even as I spoke. Oh Lord, I am afflicted. You see how he said that? So here's what Paul's saying. We have the same spirit as David, that even as he was afflicted and could speak that out. You see what, what Paul's doing beautifully here? Don't be afraid. You don't have to pretend uh, it's, it's all good. I feel great. It's, it's weighty, but you know, I'm a believer, so Jesus is good. You can go, oh, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> Even as I spoke the affliction, yet I believed. And what did, what did David believe? That God was gracious and merciful and good and would deliver him and had delivered him before. And so here Paul does this perfect thing. He goes like this. Just as David believed God would deliver him, what do we believe? The same. We believe that Christ who was raised from the dead will also see us raised from the dead, which means whatever affliction we live in now, whatever hard choice we make for the sake of right and good, it will ultimately bow its knee to the end story, which is it will be made new Christ will redeem it. There is no death, there is no affliction, there is no suffering that will not bow its knee to Christ and be made new. And we live in it because we know that to be true. Look, he's not done yet. Whoops, wrong place, Second Corinthians. Take a look at what it says here. Paul goes on to say this. <clears throat> for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Here we are back to grace. See, this whole entire thing was about what? Living a life of affecting grace, even when, frankly, it's super hard. Because we know things about who we are and we know things about our calling now that eliminates us behaving like the rest of humanity. It means when they fall, we stand. It means when they run, we go in. Now look, 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 look. So we do not lose heart, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So now he begins to show us, it's not only normal that you feel overwhelmed and afflicted when you're living a life that is choosing the hard over the easy for the sake of Christ, but it is not only that you have to go, it's normal, so I'm okay. There's also great hope in what you're doing. And what is the great hope? Here's what he just said. It's so incredible. This is what he said. Though it feels like the affliction, the perplexion, the, the being struck down is doing permanent damage and therefore wasting you away as the outer experience of this is wasting you and I away, the inner self is actually being renewed in the very experience and realities that you live in. What does he mean by this? Wow, it feels like I'm dying and yet I'm not. What do you mean, Paul? Well, he's about to tell us, look. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We gotta stop here. Listen, this is big. When we are under affliction, perplexed, overwhelmed, struck down, and we feel like we are dying under the weight of choosing what was good and right in our calling and our identity. And we go, man, this is much harder than I thought. And it feels much heavier than I can bear. We must remember this, that we are jars of clay that hold a great treasure within us. And jars of clay are going to feel overwhelmed. And that even though we feel overwhelmed, we will not be overcome, not because we are strong, but because he is in us. 
And then, in feeling overwhelmed, yet knowing we won't overcome, we find out something even more extraordinary. That at the end of the day, the affliction, the, 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 the persecution that would have once crushed us, which is where we began, I am afflicted in every way, yet not crushed. Why not? What would have crushed us isn't only not crushing us, that would be enough, but it is actually doing something opposite to what it used to do in us. It is preparing us for something that is beyond imagination, a weight of glory, and that is a reward, a weight of glory, a glory that will be ours to share in with Christ, that will come, that is beyond comparison. I can imagine Paul writing and going, this is preparing you for a reward, a weight of glory, that, that's like, that's like, um, that's like, wait, wait for it. It's going to come to me. That's like, uh, that's like, what is the most awesome thing on the planet? That's like, uh, that's like, look, it's beyond comparison. It's not like anything. Choose the most awesome thing that you have ever dreamt of having on this planet. And it's not even like that because I, I, I can't even, it, it would be silly to compare it to that. Because it is without comparison. Our affliction is not only not crushing us, it is preparing us for what is to come. You see, what Paul's beginning to do here is this. If this life on this planet was the entire story, allow me to give you some advice. Pursue comfort. Pursue comfort. Don't be stupid. Don't try to help people. I mean, be nice and help them when it serves you, but don't actually like be uncomfortable. Don't actually step into hard things because one, it doesn't matter to them because they're just going to die anyways and it's over. And it doesn't matter to you because you're going to die anyways and it's over. And then the story's over. So just pursue comfort. Do you see what I'm saying? If this is the end game, if this is the whole story, then just try to carve out as good a life as you can for yourself. But what Paul's saying is, this isn't the end game. This isn't even the beginning game. This is, this is like a vapor, like a like a moment, like a blink. And so when we remember who we are in Christ and that our future is redeemed and that it is an eternal future and that what is happening on this little planet for this momentary time is actually preparing us for what is to come to receive a glorious, wondrous, non-comparable reward, then suddenly what feels overwhelming and is overwhelming is also momentary because we're like, oh yeah, even if it lasts our whole life, it's like this. It's a blink, it's a blink, it's a blink. And it probably won't even last our whole life because God said sometimes we'll feel comfort and sometimes we won't, so it won't even be that bad. But even if it was, it's nothing. But it's only nothing, not because it is nothing, but because in light of the eternal story, it becomes momentary. And so it gives us the power to recognize that I can live under this weight. I don't have to pretend not to be affected by it, but I also don't have to bail on it because I am being prepared by it for a future glory that is not comparable to anything because this is momentary and my life is yet to come. Isn't that awesome? And then look at this. Oh, he's not done. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It says, we live in this space of affliction on mission best when we don't pretend that it's not affecting us, but that we remember who we are in the eternal story. That what we see, what we feel, is not what dictates truth. It is what we know to be true of eternity that shapes our truth. And so what we feel is very real, but it is not what dictates truth. Are you under affliction, perplexed, overwhelmed? Yes, Th this world will do that sometimes. But you are part of something much bigger. And so it's okay to feel that way, doing what's good and right. Don't bail. Now, as though to hit the last nail into the coffin of us feeling either guilty that we're feeling overwhelmed or bailing because we are. Look what he does. Look what he does. Chapter five, verse one. For we know 
that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavenlies. So he says, okay, just, just I'm gonna compare us and our story to something. We know that if this tent we're living in now, so what is he talking about there? Well, he's obviously talking about our human body that we reside in that is dying away. We all know it's dying away, right? We buy lots and lots of products to try to stop it from dying. I, I know, uh, we, we spend lots of money to do that. I, I have bad news. They, they will work only for a short period of time and probably not even for that. Then you will still die, just like me. You will still grow old, just like me, right? So we work diligently to try to undo that, but it's kind of like you're in a tent, man, and it's, it's gonna die, okay? And your story is a tent. It's a brevity of this life. So everything we build into our story is ultimately not going to last a long time. He says, look, if, if the tent, if the tent is, uh, which is our earthly home is destroyed, that, that, that's okay, it was temporal anyway. Paul was a tent maker in Corinth, remember that? You know why he was a tent maker? Because it was very lucrative. You know why? Because Corinth was a transient city. So a lot of people in Corinth made tents that actually lived there because people, when they traveled during this day, they didn't stay at the Hampton Inn or the Hilton or some other hotel. They stayed in tents. And so unlike us, where we go to a hotel and we're like, oh, why can't I live in a hotel? I mean, my home, I got to clean my own dishes. I got to make my own bed. I got people running around here. It's quiet. It's, I leave in the morning. I come back. It's all done for me. Hotels are so nice. We want to live in them. See, that's not what it used to be like. What it used to be like is you had your house, which was awesome. And then when you traveled, you stayed in a little fragile tent in which you would probably die. And so every time you traveled in the tent, you were like, oh, I can't wait to get home because I'm in my tent. You know what happens with us? This quick side note. I think one of our big problems, especially in the Western cultures, we fall in love with the tent. We do. We're like, oh, the tent is so awesome. We fall in love with our bodies and our stories. And we're like, oh, I'm just gonna do everything I can to build my body and my story into beauty. And so we feel super frustrated when we can't do that, right? When the body doesn't cooperate and the story doesn't cooperate. I want to be, I want to be secure and I want to look great and I want to feel great. And so we, we cream ourselves up and we exercise all day long and we eat the stuff we're not supposed to except for when we cheat so that we can build our tent really awesome. Now, side note, there's nothing wrong with doing any of that. In fact, God would say we ought to. But why ought we to? Because Jesus resides in this body, so we ought to take care of it. If we take care of our body because we love the tent, bad news. If we take care of the body because we love Jesus, great news. So we ought to take care of the body, but we ought to take care of it not because we love the tent. Here's what Jesus is trying to say through this passage. If in our missional life, our story is negatively impacted, it's destroyed. He said that, right? You, you lose your resources. You, you lose your life. You lose your comfort. You lose the stuff that's the tent. What, what difference does that make? Because our tent is temporal and God is building us a house that will last for eternity so it doesn't matter if the impact on your life to do what is good and right for Christ is affliction. What matters is that you're living for a bigger story than this one. Look, he's gonna say it now, watch this. He says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may, be f not, may not be found naked. He just means, I want to be full of the full redemptive story of God, my resurrected body, so that I'm no longer fragile. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be un unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He says, look, while we live on this planet, knowing who we are, we live on mission because we know what? That at the end, everything that is mortal, everything that is temporal, everything that is affliction, everything that is difficult will be swallowed up by life. Life wins, folks. Life wins because God is life. And so because we know that, we live in the current and immediate affliction because we're choosing to do what is right and good without fear of bailing on it or pretending it's not there because it's okay that we have it because we're on planet Earth and we're on mission for Jesus. And then he says this. 
He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, not of good cheer, of good courage, because we know that this story on this planet that's been given to us that might be hard is given by God and we have the spirit that guarantees the end and what is the end? That life will swallow up death. Wow. And then he says this. Verse seven. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That is our life. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There Paul does it. He doesn't do it to to make us guilty or make us scared. He just does it to connect the eternal reality of our lives to the temporal. What you do now matters. It does. When you choose the easy way out, it does matter. When you choose the hard way because it's the good and right way, it does matter. The good and right way is not always the hard way. But when it is, we still choose it. And what he's saying here is this. If you are afflicted because you are doing what's right and you feel overwhelmed, don't worry, that's normal. As you feel overwhelmed, you don't have to pretend that you're not, but remember that in that space, it is not the vessel that is going to make the difference on us making it through and persevering. It's the treasure in the vessel and you have the treasure. So in the end, you will not be crushed, you will not be destroyed, though you feel like you will, and in fact, you will be prepared for a weight of glory beyond comparison, and it is guaranteed that life will swallow up death because you have been made for Christ, in Christ, by Christ, through his grace for you. What? a life we live. May we live in the freedom and the hope that is given to us by the grace of God in his great work of redemption for us so that we might be great ambassadors of redemption for Christ in all circumstances, relationships, and with all resources on this planet. Let's pray. God, thank you for your extraordinary love for us. We thank you that your love for us compels us now to dare to be gracious and loving to those around us even when those choices will affect affliction for us, persecution for us, be perplexing to us, and even strike us down. Help us to remember that when we feel overwhelmed and we want to move away to a small Jamaican island, that that is normal because we are jars of clay, but that we don't have to move away to that little island because in this jar of clay is deposited a great treasure of knowledge that allows us to sustain in the affliction because we know that the story doesn't end here on this planet but is an eternal story that carries us into a wondrous redemption where life swallows up death and where a weight of glory is ours beyond comparison. May we live our lives on mission for you because we know that you are enough to sustain us in the weight of this world until we receive the weight of glory in the next. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name.